Welcome back, everyone. Happy February, and thanks so much for joining us as we continue our quest to discover more of the river of life and accept Jesus' kind invitation as he says to all of us, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. So it is February now, and we're more than a month into 2021, and um, I don't know about you, but things have gotten busy Things have gotten crazy. Um, you know, we were in 2020 and it was a crazy year. We forget sometimes that before that, it wasn't as if we never had stress. <laughs> we lived in a world that was full of stresses, full of busyness, uh, full of, of hurry, which some of the great Christian writers have said is an enemy to godliness, hurry. Uh, and then on top of that, of course, we had the pandemic and we had lots of crazy and of course, we don't want to say that 2020 was all bad. I'm sure each of us can point to very good things in our lives that happened in 2020 and be very thankful for that. But, you know, a lot of ways it was rough and we find ourselves now in 2021. And so I don't know about you, but it seems like most of the things that I was doing pre-coronavirus, uh, I'm now doing still or doing again. But it's different. It's like, yes, we're doing all the things, but but masks, but virtually, but we still feel like we're missing things. So I just kind of want to address that I think I'm probably not the only one uh, feeling like there's a lot of stress in my life. And actually earlier this week, at the beginning of the week, I mean, I would have to say I was in a pretty rough spot. Um, just one of those weeks, one of those times when when you feel so busy uh, that you start dropping things. I felt like I was trying to hold water in my hands. If you've ever tried that, of course, it doesn't work very well. Uh, hold all these things together and things are just dropping through. I'm starting to forget things. I find myself doing crazy amounts of multitasking. I was doing, I realized the other day, I was doing five things at once. I was... I was trying to type an email, but I was talking on the phone to someone else, uh, and I was, I had a book in front of me, and I was trying to also, in another page of my computer, create uh, another project, and then someone came in the room and started talking to me, and I just went, okay, this is not, this is not helpful, this is not how it was designed to work, <laughs> something's got to give, and you know, just one of those times when uh, fear starts to come against you, fear of failure because there's so much going on, lots of other stresses, uh, stresses. And I would just have to admit that I wasn't exactly feeling like I was dwelling in the swift flow of the river of life. I'd have to say I wasn't feeling uh, easy and light like we talked about in the first episode, that I wasn't feeling like I was accepting the offer of Jesus. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, uh, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I wasn't feeling rest in my soul. In fact, I was, what he mentions uh, at the beginning, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Uh, that, that felt a little more accurate to me, weary and heavy laden. And so I thought to myself, I thought, 
there has to be a rescue from this. I was getting actually rather distraught, and I thought, I know there's a rescue. I know what Jesus offers. I know what he meant when he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Uh, he meant me in this moment. Uh, I know he provides rescue. How am I going to tap into this? And so I went to someone older and wiser, and I I just told them my situation, and I asked their advice. And uh, this older man gave me some wonderful uh, orientation. He said, one of the things that orients me when maybe I'm feeling like you are, or that I try to say to myself very often is this, the Lord is my shepherd, I hear his voice. And of course that's a combination then of Psalm 23 and John 10. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, and with that I shall not want I won't be lacking anything. And let me tell you, I was feeling a, a bit of lack. And then John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And uh, I can't tell you exactly what, how much rescue that, that was for me. Not immediately, but as I began to let myself meditate on these truths, to spend time with them, to speak them to myself. The Lord is my shepherd. He's watching over me. I hear his voice. Uh, I not only do I hear it, I think is implied there, but I, I follow his voice. That's, I, and as I set my heart to do that, to know that the Lord is my shepherd, to know that he's leading me, to commit to hearing his voice, um, I began to feel my soul just lifting, to feel my spirits lifting, to feel the burden uh, going away, whether that burden was caused by some lies or just a lack of focusing on the truth. It was such a rescue. And the difference from Tuesday attitude to Wednesday and on attitude was just night and day. I actually stopped myself Wednesday and I thought, did this really happen this fast? Am I really, I mean, I feel like a different person. What happened? And I just spent some time letting my soul become grounded in the truth that the Lord is my shepherd and in the commitment that I hear his voice, that I follow him, that he and I are in this together. And then he's going to lead me beside those still waters. He's going to lead me in green pastures. And the things that seem so insufficient in my life right now are really not they have no power to stop God's provision for me. And the fact is he will provide and things that may seem insufficient to me, he will work them out. So he's going to lead us by still waters. He's going to lead us in green pastures. And of course, yes, there will be hard times. You know, the Bible does say all you who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So yes, but also, yes, there's abundance. There's green pastures. There's still waters. Uh, there's fullness of heart, fullness of soul to be had in Christ. And just to meditate on those things, just to think of them deeply and let them sink into your soul is so, so powerful. So I'm thinking that I'm probably not the only one who's experienced stress in 2021. Just a guess. I'd imagine I'm not the only one.
there's so many stressors the one i've the ones i've mentioned and i'm sure you have your own and these i think i think they're just things that tend to get in the way of our rescue the rescue of our souls by the truth of god's word by the river of life and so with that in mind i thought it might be helpful to talk about the arena in which all of this takes place or at least a large part of it and that is in our soul we're talking about finding rest for our souls that's the offer of jesus come unto me you'll find rest for your soul so i thought it might be helpful to just do a little deeper study on the soul and just ask ourselves what it is it's one of those words that we use a lot and yes we know what it means but if you or to try to come up with a hard and fast definition of what exactly a soul is, it's kind of tough. It's tough for me, at least. And so to do that, let's go back all the way to Genesis. Genesis 2, verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. And the Hebrew word there for soul uh, is nephesh. No clue if that's how you really pronounce it. But anyway, nephesh, it means literally, most literally, it means a thing that breathes. So God took the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a thing that breathes. And that's obviously true literally, uh, but it's true spiritually as well in a way that's different from, you know, say the soul of an animal. An animal is a thing that breathes, literally, but it doesn't breathe in its spirit and in its soul, as we would think of soul, the way that a human does, of course. And so, literally, a thing that breathes, figuratively, we could say a soul is a thing with an appetite. And of course, we know every person has an appetite, not only for physical food, but for uh, spiritual sustenance for, I mean, every, almost everything. I think it's very clearly illustrated in Psalm 42. It says, As the deer longs for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. And so we have established that our soul is something with longings, with an appetite, with a desire, and the need, really, just as we need to breathe air, the soul needs to breathe in something. And we see that it's most clearly designed to breathe in the Lord, to breathe in God himself. So my soul longs after thee, O Lord, just like a deer longs after water. And it's important, I think, to point out that that's not just a de speaking of a, a momentary desire. We all have those desires if we're a Christian, we have had the desire, I just want God so much. I want him. I want to be near him. That's a beautiful thing. But I think what he's talking about here is, actually, my soul has a craving for relationship with the Lord, just as a baseline fact, and no other sustenance will do. It's a thing that's true whether we feel it or not. Our soul does always thirst after God. And so this Hebrew word nefesh it is a complex word, just as our word soul is. It also is used to describe the seat 
<clears throat> of the emotions or the passions. And also it's referred to as a very precious part of, of us, of us as humans. Of course, we have our various members, our bodies, our spirits, our souls. And the soul is, as are the rest, is a very precious thing. So having defined a soul as nearly as we can in such a short amount of time, let's ask, how does a soul work exactly? We read in the Bible that a soul can be described many different ways. It, it can experience many, many states. So a soul can be joyful. It can rejoice. A soul can find rest. A soul can be satisfied. A soul can magnify the Lord like Mary's did whenever the angel Gabriel appeared unto her. Um, one of my favorites is whenever Abigail went to entreat David. Uh, one of the things she told him is that your soul is bound in the bundle of life with the Lord. I love that. Bound in the bundle of life with the Lord. So those are good states, obviously, of the soul. However, Scripture also tells us that the soul can be downcast. A soul can be troubled. A soul can be dried away. A soul can be in bitterness. And I think now the obvious question is, well, how do we how do we control this? How do we make sure that our souls are experiencing the former list and not the latter? And we being creatures that breathe things in by one of our, our deepest members here, our soul is a thing that has an appetite that breathes things in. The Bible is very clear that we're the ones that get to decide just what our soul breathes in. And we're actually commanded to choose well in what we, we put into our soul. Deuteronomy 4, 9 says, Only take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, but teach them to your sons and to your sons' sons. So this referring obviously to God's deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. But what he says is keep your soul diligently. This thing that needs to breathe in life, keep it so that it's breathing in what truly brings life and not one of the many counterfeits out there. Um, lest you forget. And we know that many Israelites did forget. They did feel, fail to keep their souls diligently to remember the goodness of God toward them. And that did not go well. But God says, keep your soul diligently. Keep these things in your minds and teach them to others. And we see another bold commandment of this type in First Chronicles twenty-two nineteen, where David is passing on the throne to Solomon. And he charges him very firmly, now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God. So again, a command, it's up to you. God has delegated to us the filter, as it were, of our soul. What are you going to let in? What are you going to bring into your life to satisfy the appetites that you have? Make sure you're seeking the Lord with that. And sticking with David here, one of the things I love on this topic is in Psalm 24 and 25, we actually get contrasting options, I guess, of what to do with our soul. And uh, I don't know if these Psalms are back-to-back -back for David or if they are for us, but they are for us. And they provide a beautiful contrast, a very helpful contrast, I would say. 
when it comes to to guiding our soul. So I'll start actually first with Psalm 25. The first verse says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And this has been so helpful. Whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, or you know something's not right in your soul, or whatever it may be, just say, Lord, I lift up my soul to you. Basically, help, you know. But lift up this thing that has appetites, that needs to breathe to the Lord to receive life from Him and nowhere else. And contrasting to that, in Psalm 24, uh, we're talking about what kind of person will stand in the presence of the Lord unashamed. And the fourth verse there says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So the contrast here couldn't be more clear between I lift up my soul to the Lord and I lift up my soul to vanity. Vanity being anything that's empty. Vanity, vain means empty. Things that will not actually bring you life, which in this context is everything but God and his word and his ways. And um, there is, let me just tell you, I mean, I don't have to tell you, I'm sure you already know, there is so, so much in this world that is vain. I mean, there's evil here, but there's also just things that are vain, that are empty, that have only temporal value. We have to be very careful not to lift up our soul unto those. That's not a characteristic of the person that will stand in the presence of God. And I wish I could tell you it's a casual choice, that it's, uh, you know, as simple as choose this or that. It, it is, actually, in a way, but I say it's not casual because of First Peter 2, verse 11, which says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So it's not it's not happening in a in a peaceful setting, I guess is a better way to say it. There are things in this world, fleshly lusts he calls them, which would range from anything from evil desires to just things that are our bodies may want that are not God, even if they're not horrible things. But he's saying all these things war against our soul. And so we have to be ready to put on all the armor of God and fight against these things. And so it's necessary then in the midst of this war for our souls to be grounded. And how are we going to ground our souls? I think we find the answer to that in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, uh, verse 19, where the writer of Hebrews is talking about hope, that they have laid hold upon the hope set before them, which hope they have as an anchor of the soul. So things come against us, not just these fleshly lusts, but lots of things in this world um, are tough on the human soul. Lots of things in this world uh, are against the peace of your soul. I think I don't have to, I think that's not news to you. Um, And so in the midst of the storms of life, we need something to anchor our soul. And the Bible says that it's hope, hope specifically of eternal life set before us in Jesus Christ. So that's a whole other topic in itself, and maybe one day we'll do an episode on that. But just know that the one thing the Bible mentions is the thing that can ground your soul, anchor your soul amidst all the troubling things in this life, is hope, 
of eternal life. Hope of a time when Jesus comes back, says he will come to judge, and we can I think we can take that to mean he will come to make everything right. He comes to set the captive free, to heal all of our brokenness, to take us to the new heavens and the new earth, to restore us to all that he intended us to be at the point of creation. I mean, just think about people without sin, without disease, without uh, any hindrance, uh, but people just being glorious as God intended. That's the thing, that's the hope that will anchor you in this life amidst all the storms. And so now let's turn to, I think, one of the most beautiful passages of the Old Testament, which is Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. The whole thing is really beautiful, but I want to zero in on a few verses here that really tie up all these topics we've been talking about. So I'll read several verses here and then and then comment on them. Starting in verse 8 of Jeremiah 31, it says, Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return. They shall come weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him, as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob, and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat, and for wine, and for oil, and for the young of the flock, and of the herd. And their soul shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them, and make them rejoice from their sorrow. And I will satisfy the soul of the priests with goodness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. And that passage just lifts my soul, and... I think it describes actually a lot of those things that are the anchor of our soul, a lot of the the details really of the life and the fullness that Christ brings uh, to us in this life, the abundant life he's prepared for us, but also in the life to come. I think this would apply both cases, this kind, you know, just to describe the character of Jesus and the kind of wonderful healing that he brings. So, of course, I have to point out the river reference here, but he's taking all these people who who have various ailments, the blind and the lame, and people from all over the world, and he's leading them where? To walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way where they shall not stumble. And of course, it reminds me of the river of life flowing from the throne of God, but also in, in straight ways where they will not stumble. That reminds me of green pastures and besides still waters where the shepherd is leading us and the Lord here is referred to as a shepherd again in this passage 
uh, one who gathers his people, who keeps them, who who keeps them close and cherishes them, protects them as a precious treasure. And so with that river, it says they'll flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil. So that just, those are all symbols of plenteousness, of robust wellness, of a place where, really to put it back in Psalm 23 language, I shall not want. Being full, not only these physical things, but full in your souls. The, the thing that stands out to me in this passage, I think more than anything else, is this phrase in verse 12, and their soul shall be as a watered garden. That just, that's exactly how I want my soul to be. It's not always how my soul is. But boy, is that, that is totally the goal. That your soul would be like a well-watered garden. That it would just feel relief from everything that troubles it. That it would feel vibrant and well, like it's producing much fruit. A well-watered garden. So that's the image of whenever Jesus comes and brings life to a soul, I think we can say that that's his goal, that it would be as a well-watered garden, watered from the river of life that flows from the throne of God. So please, I know I will do my best to do this, but please go back. I think it would be such a blessing to go back to Jeremiah 31, read the whole thing, meditate on it, meditate on small parts. This is the kind of thing I believe that brings that relief to our souls which are burdened and warred against in this world. And so with all this in mind, I think I want to leave you with two practical things or just two truths, two practical truths. One is that this kind of relief for our soul is available any moment. It's something that could bring immediate relief to your soul, and I, I experienced that this week. But the cultivation of our souls as a well-watered garden is also a lengthy process. I think we understand this, but I want to read a quote from A.W. Tozer, a great writer and preacher. So I've set up the one side, which is that, yes, we can have immediate relief, but there's another side to this in which we grow over the long term. And I think his quote applies here. He says, in my creature impatience, I am often caused to wish that there were some way to bring modern Christians into a deeper spiritual life painlessly by short, easy lessons. But such wishes are vain. No shortcut exists. God has not bowed to our nervous haste nor embraced the methods of our machine age. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. The man who would know God must give time to him. He must count no time wasted that is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. He must give himself to meditation and prayer hours on end. So did the saints of old, the glorious company of the apostles, the goodly fellowship of the prophets, and the believing members of the Holy Church in all generations. And so must we, if we would follow in their train. So I think there's so much truth to that. There's no shortcut, you know. We must give of our time to the Lord, our souls being things that have appetites, that need to feed on the Lord and his word, that need to breathe in his life. We have to give ourselves to that for the long haul. 
we have to be diligent day by day, just like we eat food every day. We have to feed our souls every day and allow them to bring in, to breathe in the life of God that comes from the river of life. So I'll leave you with that and and again with the promise of the last chapter of the Bible, which says, Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. And the one who offers that river of life is the very same one of whom King David wrote in Psalm 23, He restores my soul.